This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Thanks for coming today. I'll introduce the panel and I'll turn it over to our moderator and we'll dive into this material. Uh, our event today is entitled Big Brother, Our Communities Sharing, Joining, and Participating in a Monitored World. Um, today, our moderator is Bill Droll, who's right here in the center. Wave, Bill. How you doing? Uh, Bill holds a master's degree in sociology and a master's degree in religious studies. Uh, he's associate pastor at, or a pastoral associate at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Palos Hills, and he's been an instructor of humanities here at Moraine Valley for on his way to 30 years, correct? Okay. Um, to his left is Justin Sinistead. Uh, Mr. Sinistead holds a master's degree in philosophy from Loyola. Um, he's also studied linguistics and many other things um, through the University of Chicago. He's a professor of philosophy and humanities here at Moraine Valley. To his left is Mitch Baker. Mr. Baker holds um, a master's degree in developmental psychology. He's, he's an instructor of psychology here at Moraine Valley. And um, he's worked in, the, in his past life as an organizational consultant for a corporate, the corporate world and studied psychological principles, among other kinds of things. I'm sorry, Mitch, I rambled through that, but okay. Um, Start at the end down there is uh, uh, Andrew Zabib. Mr. Zabib holds a master's degree in English from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and also a master's degree in philosophy and theology at Ho- Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology. He's an instructor of philosophy and humanities here at Moraine. And to his left, last but definitely not least, um, is Idadel Shalaby. Um, Ms. Shalaby holds a master's degree in social work from the Jane Addams School of Social Work at the University of Illinois at Chicago and is the co-founder and executive director of Arab American Family Services um, here in the southwest suburbs, correct? So I want to welcome this panel. This is an excellent group of people. I'm very excited to hear what they have to say. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bill to uh, set the stage and get us going. So thanks for coming, everyone. Thanks, Troy. Uh, What we're going to do this afternoon is make this as participatory as possible. So I'm going to police the panel members and keep their remarks brief and succinct and uh, concise. And we're going to spend as much of our time together as possible hearing from uh, you, from the students and other other members of the uh, audience. So don't be shy in any way. There's a lot of themes to the novel 1984. We're going to focus this afternoon on just one of those themes, although I'm sure it'll take us in uh, several uh, directions, that being the relationship between community and technology. And uh, I happened upon an article earlier in the week. Uh, Thomas Friedman is the foreign correspondent for the New York Times, and he has a, a bestseller out now called The World is Flat. And Friedman is a generally a, a proponent of globalization. But he tells about a recent uh, trip that he took to Paris. And uh, after leaving the airport, he got into a cab and was on his way to his destination. And all the while that they were driving, the cab driver, who was from Africa, was talking on his uh, cell phone and watching a movie on a monitor on the dashboard. Meanwhile, in the back seat, Friedman was typing on his laptop and listening to his iPod. And so the two of them uh, hardly exchanged but two or three words during the trip from the airport to the hotel. And later, Friedman concluded that this is a big change in the modus operandi of journalists because journalists often, when they arrive on on the scene in a new territory, get their initial impressions from asking questions of the taxi driver and sometimes even being guided uh, around town by the the driver. And and what this story suggested to me is that uh, all of a sudden, perhaps not all of a sudden, uh, there is so much technology in our environment that even uh, very simple human conversation, human intercourse uh, becomes impeded. And that's the theme that we want to try to explore this afternoon, the relationship between technology and, and community, between personal relationships. Uh, I'll ask uh, 
for opening comments from our panel members on this general theme. And then, as I say, I'm going to try to get as many of you from the audience involved as possible with questions or comments. Uh, Inadel, you want to start off? What do you think is happening in our culture, in our society, in regards to technology and the person? Thanks, Bill. Thank you all for having us, uh, for having me here. Um, I think the, the thing that I've seen with technology, per se, with the Arab and the Muslim community, is a lot more people are relying on getting information from the media, getting information from the computers, getting information from the Internet, rather than going next door to their neighbor who's been there for five, six years and saying, explain this to me. What is going on? Is this correct or is this not correct? So we're more heavily relying on things that we think we sh are telling us the truth, we think are giving us the right facts because we've been taught that, you know, Dan Rather and, and, and Tom Kovac, all of these are, are telling us the truth. But whose truth are they telling us? Whose perspectives are they giving us? So I think with the technology, even though we found that it made us a lot more easier and we became a flat, you know, so to speak, the world has become flat, but at the same time, we're still so far away from each other. We're still so scared of each other. We're still so... Um, giving opinions based on things that we haven't seen or heard or experienced. So I think technology can be a great asset, but I would also go back to meet each other, talk to each other. You have a diverse student population, you have diverse communities, and we shouldn't be afraid to question and to say, what does that mean? Why are you wearing this? Why are you eating this? What is the policy that you feel were not you know, correct or appropriate for you? So there's technology is really overrated and we really need to go back to that human uh, touch. Justin. Um, I read a book called Propaganda by a Frenchman named Elul which relates to this that uh, I'll use it here. This man uh, who's writing about propaganda said that the people in the United States are more apt to be propagandized than people in most countries and the, the thought behind that was that the United States look for their ideas from central sources, such as what you're talking about, mediated sources. We think of ourselves primarily as Americans first and not as a member of a family or a community or a religion or any other kind of smaller group. Uh, having those sources for our ideas keeps us from being critical. And if we did communicate, as today was saying about with our neighbor or our uncle or our grandfather, we would get a chance to try to prove our skills as arguers and become individuals who could hold our own in a stage of conflict. But there's no conflict when you're under a central uh, propagandistic orientation and people are willing to accept whatever is the... Uh, the popular opinion given out by the media, whether or not it be for commercial purposes or political purposes or other uh, group thinking. So I think that the technology cuts both ways in that sense, too. The uh, reference is to Jacques Ellul, E-L-L-U-L, -L -L, and the name of the book is uh, Propaganda, the Formation of Attitudes. Uh, and then another one maybe I'll refer to a little later, by the same author, The Technological Society, a similar argument. Uh, Andrew. Okay. Uh, the concern I have about technology is we assume it's uh, given as a divine command and we don't question it. And uh, one of the purposes in college, and I tell my students this often, is hopefully you'll develop into being a critical thinker. And so the danger of technology is we assume what we read in technological sources are facts when indeed we must question that. So for the sake of time, I'm going to keep moving. And Mitch. Uh, I'd like to echo the sentiments of the rest of the panel as far as saying that uh, technology is somewhat deteriorating the overall communication that we have. Uh, but be that as it may, for whatever reason, I don't think we can necessarily go back to uh, not having the development of the Internet and the cell phone and all the PDAs that we can have. Uh, but because of that, there's a new discipline that's gaining momentum in psychology known as community psychology, and it's an applied discipline, so it's a lot of research orientation. Uh, and most of the research is coming out by this uh, gentleman named uh, George Orford. And really what he's saying is that uh, a lot of the problems suffering, most people think it from a psychological standpoint, it would be some individual dysfunction that we have. But he's saying that it's not the individual dysfunctions or disturbances that are causing 
the problems, but it's the fact that the, the community systems are failing us. So kind of community psychology and the services that we have, like social services, social work, things like that, they're becoming more and more important to kind of borrow a term that Justin gave me about a surrogate, if you will, that a community is um, acting as. And it's really trying to provide some stability to the person. So I think somehow technology, community psychology, I think that's somehow trying to take the place of that human interaction or that human touch that you were describing. Uh, Mitch, can you give the reference? You, George Orford. How do you spell it? O-R-F-O-R-D. Okay. Uh, comments from the audience? Or questions? Initial comments, initial questions. Some initial reactions. Please. Uh, do you feel there's some sort of happy medium between the uh, personal contact and technology? Like you could be both in order to further. I truly believe there's always a medium and I think that's what we want is not to go to two extremes where you are following just to follow and giving up your right to be critical and then being too critical where you, you miss, miss, miss things the happy medium is to read and then question and then make up your mind don't let others make up your mind for you I think this is where we're, we're losing it and if you look at you know the book Winston that's what they wanted. They wanted to change history. They wanted to change things. They wanted to say that what happened yesterday didn't really happen. It's just part of your imagination. This group is really bad. Ten years ago, they weren't bad. And there was so much similarities to what is happening that it really made me paranoid. Are we really hearing and seeing what we're really actually hearing and seeing? And are we really there? But always, the human touch will never fail you. I mean, even, even after 9-11, that was what said is that we lost our human intelligence on the ground and we relied too much on technology that failed us to really understand and know that things were happening. And so, again, we really have to question, and as the professor said, to be self-critical thinkers. And we have the opportunity here in the United States where no other country is allowing their students, their population to do that. But unfortunately, we're giving it up because of the fear and the ignorance that is being placed upon us. Justin, I'd like your reaction to this. Uh, I was just uh, grabbing that word human intelligence, which is sort of ambiguous. Um, that in the military sense means uh, people telling you what's going on rather than uh, reading pictures from satellite photo or something of that sort. But uh, I, I'm a big fan of human intelligence and I don't see a whole lot of it anywhere in any form. So I'm thinking what we really miss is the idea to think for ourselves and be critical about what's going on, whatever the source. So I had other questions because. Well, I, and I would also be curious whether uh, you think that there's something inherent in technology that divides people, or whether it's a a somewhat neutral phenomena that can be used for good or for evil. Elu, um, you know, says that technology individuates; that there's something about the very nature of technology that pulls people apart. Not that we ought to give up on technology, but that it comes it comes with that side effect. Right. I'm reminded of a, of a uh, Spanish philosopher um, whose uh, name is skipping my mind right now, but he said that the United States has a, a, a bunch of rather primitive people who are disguised in very clever inventions. And I'm wondering whether or not we need to have more sense of uh, developing the use of, of these tools for a particular purpose and that was my next question was uh, why are we using technology and I'm assuming that technology means in the media that's that's the focus of this question not for purposes of medicine or something of that sort but mediated technology what is our reason and as some of you have said there are uh, obviously it's a double-edged sword but um, most of the use of television time at the moment seems to be for what purpose you know you can ask that when you do talk to your uncle or your neighbor or your mother or your or your lover what are you trying to accomplish with that kind of communication and is that the same reason that people are watching television rather than talking to each other what is the reason for using mediated instruction or mediated information or mediated ideas or pictures or image building please the problem is maybe you know before we weren't able to talk to anybody but our uncle our neighbor and our father maybe it's not the technology that's, that's the problem is people aren't 
researching it out and going to different sources and finding out from a more broad, more uh, broad horizon than uh, just you know hearing something on the news and then just sticking with it and elaborating on it and putting it spin rather than just finding different different ideas from different people. And that's what's great about technology is that we are able to search rather than just looking to our parents and neighbors. I don't know. Mitch, do you, do you have students who use the Internet but don't think? Um, some of my students are here, so I won't really answer that question. But uh, I think the uh, quality of the source does uh, need to be more clear as far as what is going to be credible and how to help facilitate the thinking. But I think what people kind of kind of what a lot of technology provides is a little bit of apathy or leads to apathy where, oh, this is what someone's telling me to think or this is what's on the news or this is what I'm reading. So therefore, this is kind of uh, my position on that. So people kind of adopt a position without really doing the research, as you, as you had said. Uh, where, but I do want to actually point out one something you mentioned, that before I think we used to only be able to talk to our uncle or our immediate relatives that live in that community. And I think that's an excellent point. And what is the ramification now of being able to branch out? I think community, uh, the definition, has to evolve with the technology, whereas it used to be just the people living in your neighborhood. And that is no longer the case, and, and it can't be that case. So what is, con what is the essence of community? And I think uh, from like, the psychological side of things, I think you have to decide on who, what, what's contributing to the overall well-being of the individual. And if that is just the immediate family, then, then that's what it is. But I like to think that technology is allowing other things to contribute to the well-being, um, whether that be, you know, dare I say, like a MySpace or something like that, which has so many evilness to it, but as well as provides a benefit of communicating uh, for people that might not otherwise get to communicate. Professor Zabib is going to disagree with you. Okay. Not necessarily. All right. <laughs> the, the bottom line is that the world is shrinking. It's shrinking very simply because... We're in the information age, but I think we're all saying the same essential thing. We have to become discerning about what we read and what we hear and what we think we know. Ignorance is extremely dangerous, and ignorance doesn't mean someone is stupid. It means they lack the facts, and one of our vocations in life is to make sure life is full of factual information. Rather than hearsay. The part I thought you, you might comment on is uh, this idea that there could really be a personal relationship that's conducted through cyberspace. That uh, you could have impersonal personal relationships. Well, obviously, life has become extremely impersonal because of that. And that is one of the dangers. Uh, we are living, when we speak about neighbors, neighbors aren't neighbors anymore. You can live next to the same person for 35 years and not know he or she. I mean, years ago, it was much different. You've heard these stories. People were truly neighbors in the sense of caring and involvement. We live in a very personal world, and at the same time, a very impersonal world. It's a combination of both. And that becomes the oxymoron. Can I uh, make a comment on that? You know, if we go back to what communities were from yesteryear, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was, which, yeah, I'm not dating myself at all there, but uh, as far as, you know, the, there was a bit more, like, you have to bring up the point of segregation and that pretty much in your community everyone did look like you. And you don't have that anymore. And I think part of it is... Uh, maybe maybe technology provides a little bit of a buffer that maybe people need before we start to see some unfamiliar faces, something a little different, until we kind of get used to. Kind of like a contact hypothesis um, as far as eroding uh, prejudice. Like Thurgood Marshall saying, bring people in, uh, you know, to, to the different schools. So just by mere exposure to the differences, we'll erode the, the prejudices we have and uh, realize that they're not that different from us, that they mow their lawn and they keep up the yard and they're good people. And I think maybe technology is providing this buffer of uncertainty when we're not sure who it is we're talking to and allows us to be able to communicate and say, hey, you know what, maybe you're not that bad. I kind of made a judgment before I saw you. Uh, other comments from the audience? Questions? Please. Nice and loud.
I, I might say I read a study on uh, labor-saving devices in the home. There is only one technology that's been introduced into the home that actually saves labor, and that's the microwave oven. All the rest uh, take up more time and more energy. So you know, I think that's what you're saying. Things have become more complicated. I think I wanted to comment on the community. I think the community is still segregated. Even when you, we haven't learned how to emerge together, how to really look out for each other, regardless of color, race, religion. I think that's still a segregated. When you said there's no more communities that are still of the same, come into Bridgeview, and we still find ourselves, we still find as immigrant communities move into the, here, they still come together because they feel safe and they feel secure, and then we still don't know how to meet and work with each other. I think it took 9-11 for us as Arab and Muslim Americans to really say that we really need to reach to our community members and to let them know that we're not as evil or as bad as the media has betrayed us, and we're not out there to, to kill, or, or the hijab is not out there as a subservient or as an oppressing for our women. It really is a liberating for our women, and we really wear it proudly and, and, and freely. And so there's a lot of misconceptions that has gone on, but I still feel it, even if you look here as I walked in, with all due respect, the African-American students were on one table, the Latino kids were on the other table, the Arab kids were on this table, the you know, mainstream American kids were on this table. So I still feel like, what do we do? And I think that's what's missing, is what do we do as a community that has become so diverse yet still so divided, and how do we bring us together? Because it's only up to us together is to make a difference. And not maybe for us, but maybe for our children who won't see the difference. And won't and know that I can speak to an Arab girl and I can speak to a Latina girl and they're, they're not any more Arab or Latino. They're just girls or young can women. You, can you make a quick uh, comment on uh, perhaps tensions between young adults and parents on this, especially in... Uh, ethnic communities? Do you notice that? Of, of course. I have a social service organization, and so with the immigrant community, we always want to retain our heritage. We always want to retain the language, the food, the, the dress codes, everything. And the new generation wants to experiment, wants to become part of mainstream, wants to know how to dress differently, wear, you know, do things differently. And that has caused tension because both are not understanding each other, and that's lack of communication. And again, it goes back to how do we bring together to lessen the fear that our kids are not moving away from the culture, but they're adopting their new country. They're becoming mainstream. They're becoming part of the fabric. We all go out to vote. 10, 20 years ago, we didn't vote. And I would remember my dad, what's the point of voting? Now I'm voting, and my kids are seeing it, and my kids are active in the community. To, to you know, My son yesterday was given uh, a permission to go to house-to-house house for the Arab families to get them out to vote. So that's a, that's a new difference that we're seeing, but we still see the fear. And it's because, again, ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance means you don't know, and what you don't know about us and what we don't know about you is what's causing this separation. And so the more we talk and the more we have these opportunities is the more we can communicate and see we're all the same. Mm -hmm. Other people? Comments? Please. But don't you think technology would be a good way to get that information out there so that people can know? I'll comment. Honestly, I don't think so because, unfortunately, what other countries are receiving about America is Jerry Springer and whatever the divorce courts and whatever issues. And so when they see those kind of shows out there, they think, oh, no, we're not going, you know, we don't want our kids out. We don't want our kids because that's what they, that's what the media has betrayed American society and American culture as, very loose, uh, drugs, drinking, no respect, no nothing. And so when we merge with them, and when I would go home and talk to my dad and mom and say, no, this is wrong. They are very good, hardworking people. They want the same thing you want for us. They want their kids to succeed. They want their kids to improve. They want to do things differently. But the image that the rest of the world is seeing, and I feel that main, mainstream Americans are not aware of what's out there in other countries. You want people to know you, but you don't want to know others. And I think that's the issue that you have this, the superpower. And, yeah. So. Please. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's sensationalized. Who's, who's doing the manipulating? Who is Big Brother? Please, read here. No, you got it. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. That, that's I right. think when it helps coaches get together, is Barack Obama is president. <laughs> okay, anybody else want to give a political commercial? We'll get those out of it. All right, please. 
what about the history channel and the science channel? There's those two people take and what they see more than they Absolutely. No, but yeah. 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 No. So, Elvin. No. Elvin. Who's Elvin? I'm sorry. Please. Nice and loud. leaders of tomorrow how do we get you guys not to become uncomfortable how do we get you to talk to each other you're in a very wonderful country that wants to improve but maybe how do we get you to take ownership big brother who is big brother that's the question mm-hmm. how do we get you guys to improve Mitch you got to get in on this these are very important comments you know you said that technology aids heterogeneity but I don't I don't believe it unless there are some institutions in which people can you know, just to have the technology, I don't, I don't see where you're going with that. Well, I think, I mean, as far as the uh, technology goes, the technology just enables communication. Forget about the, you know, as far as just bringing people of different uh, beliefs together, having the opportunity to communicate. But just think about the single parent of any household who can now communicate with their child when they're at work or things like that. It just does, I mean, again, I'm playing devil's advocate more here. I really believe that, you know, that for the most part, that, uh, you know, technology, we need to take a little step back and reflect on how can we inter- bring back that interpersonal communication and contact. However, uh, with as far as the media goes, as far as the, back to that point of who controls the media, um, you know, as uh, Troy had mentioned, I did some organizational consulting, and, and uh, one of the things, I used to work for a permission-based uh, marketing company. You might have uh, heard that as uh, spam. Uh, you might know that as that term. Uh, but uh, So for permission-based marketing, we know about you. And we know your behaviors. We know your patterns. We know when you read your emails, when to send it. We know what image. We know when you've put up a blocker to change one little letter and misspell it so your blocker doesn't get it. This is what we do. This is what we know. I don't know necessarily who you are. I don't want to scare you and have all these images, but... I don't know exactly you per se, your name, but I know what you're about, your demographic. And if I have that information, I can predict some behavior patterns. So do we like the fact that I can use a debit card? Like I'm reminded of a commercial for the holiday season that I saw. Uh, as far as a person who uh, is, yeah, they're in line uh, for a, um, to, at some, not a restaurant, but like a, for getting some food. And they stop and slow everything down to pay cash. You know, you used to feel that way That's about it. That's the poor check. man's money. Right. We used to pay check. We'd be like, oh, someone pulls that out. You'd be all upset. Cash. Now it's cash supposed to be this bad, evil thing. Pay debit. If we have that information about how you're using it, which I find, I don't really see us going that way, but I find that amazing. But do we like that convenience of using a debit card? Or in the previous uh, panel, when they talked about the iPass and allowing us that freedom to fly, you know, get to work faster. Do you want everyone knowing? Do we allow? Do we, are we willing to take um, maybe some of that uh, anonymity away from me, you know, so people know what I'm doing or where I'm at to enjoy these conveniences? I, I don't, dis- I don't, I'm so, um, just one sec. I don't disagree that technology has helped us and has made life easier for us, but when you have a community such as ours that is being watched, and we feel we're being watched, and we feel we're being, you know, written up on, and we feel that with the Daniel Pipes out there speaking on us, defining who we are as a community, that really hinders us and says that technology is bad in other ways. 
I mean, there's, there's, I love my blender. I love my bread machine. I love my vacuum. I love my ATM debit card. I have no problem with those things. I have no problem with, with you knowing how, how I spend my money and where I spend my money. I have a problem with you believing that I'm a terrorist or that I'm raising a terrorist. Well, I have a problem with the FBI knocking at my door at 8 o'clock in the evening telling me I'm raising a terrorist for Hamas after 9-11. I would agree. And the impact it had on my children is the fact that where are you getting your information? How, who's giving you your information? And I sure. think that's where I have no problem with the little things that technology has improved on us. Oh. I have issues with the technology where it, made, it defined me, it categorized me, and it made me become a defender rather than part of the community, and I don't like that feeling. I don't want my kids growing up defending themselves. I'm glad we found Big Brother. <laughs> no, but that's being going to catch one thing, and I'll turn it over to everyone here. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, who's communicating on who's doing what or who's a terrorist is, is the news, right? Would everyone agree with the that? Media. Now, the media at this point. But what brings okay. out the media? Who's controlling the media? That's then? what we'd like to know. Well, I think it's the advertisers. Then I'd like to go sit down and have a long conversation it's with them. At, well, Nike, uh, not to point any names, like maybe a Nike commercial or anyone that spends a no, lot of money during you know, the prime time, they're the one that controls the message that's being sent. So just like obesity and, and weight gain, is that an American issue or worldwide? I mean, actually, the World Health Organization says Absolutely. it's a worldwide epidemic. Absolutely. But most people think it's a North American no. issue. Please. People aren't as bigger as they might have been back in the day. Farm work, like they're chopping wood. They're not as big like our children are not as big and muscular. But with the, the amount of work they get done now, you can plow a tunnel. No, we just created more work actually. <laughs> Justin, <laughs> what, is he right? That's what. The nature is that actually people today are are healthier and larger, and and, and so and generally speaking, not maybe not so uh, early as your farmer ancestor, but they're probably. Yeah, but what's the nature of technology? Yeah, I'm wondering if this uh, conversation wants to concentrate on technology in terms of media and how ideas are, are passed around or, in a or more just a more generic sense about the benefits of, uh, of our scientific mastery of the laws of nature, you might say. But what, none of us has talked about what community means because I hear... Uh, multiple thoughts yeah. about it's nice to belong, but on the other hand, you don't want to be uh, uh, isolated from the rest of the world. So we go through stages in our lives, starting with family, and we, as it were, enlarge the groups. And <clears throat> the benefits, I think, of not having only your uncle and, and your grandfather in your circle is that you get more and more ideas, and then you can get a bigger picture of reality. And eventually, if you're using it in the right way, begin to make judgments for yourself. So, uh, you know, the, the Arab saying that uh, I'm against my brother, but my brother and I are against our cousin, and our cousin and I are against the rest of the world, that sort of thing depends on who the enemy is and who you want to identify with and what size is the group that you're in. Because often it's very nice to feel that you belong. Adolescents become rebels in their family by going out and joining a gang or something of that sort. So that we always want to associate with one but disassociate with some other group. So we have to think about the benefits. Uh, what do we mean by community and how are we using these mediated or technological uh, forms of communication to our advantage or to our disadvantage? Please. Okay.
About three summers ago, there was a, a very tragic heat wave here in Chicago. I think about 300 people died. Nine years ago? 900 people. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the Cook County uh, Health Department just completed a study of those uh, the victims of that heat wave. And uh, among their findings is that those people were not mirrored in poverty. They were socially isolated. It wasn't that there was no particular uh, demographic characteristic, except that they were isolated from one another. So here we are in a metropolitan region of over 8 million people, and uh, 900 can be so isolated that over a week's time, nobody visits them, calls them, sees them. So just what you're saying. Please, way in the back. Absolutely. I feel that's where we, we go away from is the fact that we are generalizing and then we're losing touch because we're believing what one thing is being said about this group or that group or that group. And unless we start communicating with each other and eradicate the misconceptions that's out there, we'll always believe these differences. And they're really, you know, that's what I'm saying. I don't think we're saying anything different. I'm say, what I, I don't think you and I are disagreeing about what we're said. I think what we're disagreeing is that we're not understanding each other. I'm not telling you this is how other countries perceive America because this is what, what the technology or what the media in other countries are portraying about American lifestyle. And this is how they only understand you. Just like how a lot of mainstream Americans understand the Arab woman as being subservient and oppressed based on the facts and the images you get or we get here in the media. That's all. I'm not say, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying we can't let others speak for us. We must be able to communicate together so we don't believe what is being told to us and told to believe. We have to be critical thinkers. That's it. I'm not disagreeing with you. Forums like this are not tidy affairs. We, we've been throwing out a lot of disparate thoughts here, but uh, I think there is a benefit to uh, getting participation from those of you who made the effort to come this afternoon. So I'm going to uh, keep up with this, even though uh, there's probably some loose threads here and there. I, I saw a couple of hands over this way. Nice and loud, please. Device. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I can't answer the chicken or the egg things, but, uh, you know, I don't know if the fact that people wanted to have the bigger homes and everything else caused, you know, created the need for technology's advancement, or if technology's advancement allowed for this to take place. I really can't say that. But whatever the reason, do you not, as a working mother, would you not want the opportunity to be able to speak with your child? 
But if you have no choice, well, if you have no choice, given the market today, if you want these, and this is the standard of living you're accustomed to or you want to contribute to, and these are the, and you're not independently wealthy, and this is the force upon you. If you're forced upon this, I, I don't have the answers of why women have to work and if they want to or not versus a traditional family or marriage versus egalitarian. I, I don't have that answer. But given the circumstances, do you not want the opportunity to be connected with your family in any, in any way possible? Uh, Andrew, uh, in response to your, well, like your, your comment about are we allowing technology to become a monster, I think it's up to us. How many of you have cell phones? How many have left the house without it and then felt they were stripped? <laughs> that sums it up psychologically. We can exist without a cell phone. And you can exist without your kid calling you over a five-hour period. We feel dependent upon the technology because we have allowed ourselves to become dependent upon it. We really don't need to talk to our kid. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Who wants to hear the kid? No, no, really. Did your grandmother worry about you years ago? Of course she did. But did she have to call you on the cell phone? She didn't have one. Andrew, you're making me feel bad. I don't have a TV yet. Nor a cell phone. No, I don't. No, I don't. Please. I will say, I agree it is great. When I've been stranded, let's say, to my yeah, that's good. How many people use it on emergencies only? Right, no, that's true. On the other hand, though, I think I'm very okay without my cell phone. You know, I've had uh, some students tell me they didn't want to go on vacation out of the country because they wouldn't have their cell phone with them. Right. And that made me pretty proud. Oh, my. Psychological dependence. You're a psychologist. People are really kind of dependent That's the point. Before. It was a little more difficult to have to get a hold of somebody, but overall, I think that we can live without it. Here's the reason I don't have a cell phone, and this is a hypothesis I'm developing. I'd appreciate your reaction. Uh, there's a commercial on now. It says, fewer dropped calls. I don't think the damn things work. And I think what's happened is that the, the uh, technology has outpaced our ability to uh, use them. And I, I, I'm wondering, Justin, maybe that, that's something inherent also in the very nature of technology, that it's always ahead of our ability to, to make good use of it. And, and I, the, the things just frustrate the hell out of me, so I don't have one. <laughs> well, I was going to use it for emergencies only. But um, the idea I of... I can't turn on my VCR. I, I don't know how to do any of these things. I think all of these ills or evils come from our not distinguishing between being the master of the technology and being the slave and I think that in case of cell phones or iPods or whatever it happens to be that it becomes a sign of belonging, of being part of the culture, of having something to talk about and so forth so that people aren't really using those things for their own purposes but it's a, a sense of uh, identifying with a larger culture where technology is the primary mark and I think all the way through here, we haven't really spoken about what community means or what information seeking is about. And it seems to me that, uh, well, lots of people like Confucius and Kohlberg and Aristotle and others have said that we go through stages of our human development, starting off with uh, our animal needs and the need to depend on our family. Then we associate with the group and become identified with the group. But our ultimate stage is to look for what is true or meaningful in some independent and rational way so we can be guided by principles. That's the reason we look at the larger community, get more ideas instead of being insular and uh, governed by the prejudices of our limited experience. So we have to think about that community getting larger and larger. Uh, one of you was saying over here, everyone is different. Uh, is that true or not? Depends on what you mean by significant differences. Is there anything that holds people together? I find that there's very little sense of community because people really don't have a sense of something, excuse me, something shared or in common, something that counts for them, humanly speaking. Justin, I'm going to offer a definition of community in a couple of minutes, but let's get some more comments, please. Yeah. Rise to like things like conspiracy theories, which has given us like a choice to, to 
do something quickly now other than, you know, like going against the grain of television or media, like I used to do with something like that. Like I was watching a documentary. That's a good show, comment. No. This is a very interesting comment. Truth yeah. is falsehood. Falsehood yeah. is truth. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, this kid. Oh, okay. Sorry, uh, please. Yeah. Well, my, my thing is Albert Einstein once said our technology is far surpassed by humanity, which is an obvious thing. But my thing is I've been sitting here listening to whatever they have to say. I've repeatedly heard that human beings are different. Human beings are the same. Human beings' technology is screwing them over, but human beings That's a good community question. But did you love the same person and lose the same person? Oh. Let me ask you that. Oh. That the individual experience then. Well, you're interpreting diversity as ethnocentrism, like saying that yours is better. And I'm not, I don't think that that's anyone that's saying. And then maybe that's the goal, is just to well, accept the diversity. One of the, the mistakes we, we make in all kinds of arenas is to confuse unity with uniformity. Those are not the same. So there can be great unity without having uniform experiences or uniform takes on things. Uh, panels like this, by the way, are not supposed to be tidy. We're going to have a lot of contradictory comments, I'm afraid. Um, anybody else? And then we'll. Please, nice and loud. I wanted to add a comment about um, that technology interferes with um, communicating with other people, but even within a family, it's, it's irritating. We're talking about the cell phones. I went out to a movie with my daughter and um, son in law, and when we're driving home from the movie, she's on the phone and he's on the phone talking to other people yeah. about the movie instead of spending the time with me. Yeah, that son-in-law's caused yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or talking to the person in the back seat. I've had that with kids. Yeah, they don't want to turn around. They call each other. Gee whiz. I, hang on, i got to make a phone call. i got to get... All right, please, way in the back. Anybody else who hasn't had a chance? Uh, yeah, nice and loud. Cars. This is a good juncture. Uh, let me try to define community and to answer the question as best I, I can. Uh, I w we in the city of Chicago, uh, we have a thing called precincts. I don't know if you know what that is because they're withering, they're decaying, they're not too viable. But the idea is when I go to vote yesterday that that I bump into other people in the voting booth that are in the the polling place uh, that are my neighbors. And so the, the precinct becomes an occasion for interpersonal contact or public contact. Uh, 
Um, but now we have this thing, uh, Internet voting. And that's going to eliminate any kind of human contact when it comes to the precinct. To me, a community is an intermediate institution, a mediating structure that stands between the individual and the big forces of society, big government or big business. And so it mediates those forces for the individual, and it helps the individual to navigate his or her, her way in the world. So that if there are vibrant mediating institutions, vib vibrant communities, an individual is not going up against the health care system all by himself or herself. They're not going up against the insurance industry. Uh, all of these things are mediated through families, labor unions, ethnic clubs, uh, precincts, churches, uh, soccer leagues, and more. And I would define those primary face-to-face -face groups as true communities. But they are withering in this country. Ever since about 1960, 1966, there's been a precipitous decline in membership and time devoted to all voluntary organizations in this country. No exceptions to the trend. Some exceptions in specific organizations, but no exceptions to the trend. It's been precipitous since the late 1960s. And so there's a membership decline in churches, unions, precincts, neighborhoods, uh, all kinds of mediating institutions, and that's, that's a social crisis, I think. And once you have a vacuum, then technology is able to come in and do something improper. There's, there's no problem with technology if, it's, if the technology itself is mediated. But if it's not, then it comes up against people directly. And I think that's a big crisis that we're facing in this country. Robert Putnam is a sociologist at Harvard University. He has studied this. He's crunched thousands and thousands of numbers, and his book is called Bowling Alone. It's not cars. He has tried to find the direct cause and effect. There are many trends that contribute to this. More women in the workforce, uh, more people traveling greater distances, trying to do more things with the same amount of time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The only independent variable that he's been able to identify is TV. TV. Instead of participating in clubs, instead of uh, going to church, instead of joining your union, people are watching more TV. After the murderous attack on our country of September 11th, 2001, there were many changes in this country. Some were changes for security, some were changes in attitude, etc., he has been able to measure only one behavioral change in the last five years. Only one social behavior has changed. North Americans now watch one half hour more of TV per day than they did before September 11th, 2001. So his answer, Putnam's answer, is that it's, the autom uh, it's not the automobile, it's not women in the workforce, it's not the interstate highway. Those are dependent variables, they're part of the picture, but the TV, and now the new TV, which is the, uh, 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 what do they call that? What a computer, yeah, I've, I don't have one yet. But uh, <laughs> that, that's, that and, and the computer are the, the culprits. They are the big brothers. And, and perhaps it's not being done deliberately. It's, it's people, uh, as we all think mentioned at the very beginning, uh, giving up their freedom, giving up their responsibility, their critical thought, and allowing this technology to fill a uh, vacuum improperly. Please. Right. All right, here's why we didn't answer your question. We don't know. That, that is about the best question we've heard all afternoon, and I, I wouldn't know how to answer it. <laughs> the idea of conspiracy theories uh, also uh, being fueled by. Uh, but who are the conspiracy theorists? That's the, where we this, go back yeah. to what unknown sources. Yeah, yeah unknown yeah. sources. Yeah. It's a great question. Do you think they don't believe because they're not found by, by like, proper sources? Well, we don't know the sources. We don't know the sources. I mean, they really become a. Uh, Rather vacuous, ambiguous term. If it facilitates, don't have any specifics oh. on that. 
if you facilitates the critical thinking aspect, I think we'd all be like, great, you know, yeah. bring them on. But uh, if we just accept those just as we would from Channel 7, then it's just as bad. Mitch, uh, this is just a, I, I'm a, I only dabble in psychology. I dabble in only anything I do. Um, my hypothesis is that conspiracy theorists somewhat paradoxically have a low tolerance for uh, ambivalence, have a low tolerance for anxiety. And it's, it's kind of, on their side of it anyway, it's a psychological thing. They, they have to... I think everyone would like an answer to something, just as this gentleman wants an answer to his question. But, uh, you know, so I, as yeah. far as, uh, like, what the conspiracy theorists go, I mean, there's, there's tons out there. I think something uh, we had mentioned before discussing was how Fox News, uh, you know, is very uh, Republican, right-wing oriented, very conservative. But yet, what is the, uh, what do they actually program? What's like, you, what is one of your favorite shows? in uh, Simpsons. Simpsons, Family Guy, sports, right? Is that very conservative Christian right wing? No. So the idea is to draw you in, and this is not, you know, this is a theory, a conspiracy theory. It's not grounded in fact. It's not coming from anything, but it's just somewhere you come across the information that let's get them in, let's get these people who are corrupt, if you will, quote unquote, who are watching the Simpsons and not going to church on Sunday and doing their thing. And then what we'll do is when that channel before 6 o'clock changes, we get them from 6 to 6.05, let's send our message. Let's get it to them. And then hopefully they buy into the Fox idea, and then when they're no longer watching The Simpsons, they got their own kids, they'll keep listening to that right-wing conservative news. Is that a conspiracy theory? Yeah. Is it true? Is it false? I have no idea. But I think if we just accept anything for face value, um, that's where the problem comes into play. We're down to about a minute or two. Uh, we'll entertain some final comments or questions, please. Please, nice and loud. For the vast majority, maybe it gives that false sense of security and control, but I think what it provides more is a sense of affiliation, and I think that's what the technology does. It says, uh, you know, I don't know how, how far your parents commute. You know, how long do you drive? I mean, uh, I live in Oak Park. It takes me a half hour to get to work, to get to school here. And you know what? The phone, I mean, I'm, I, in the psychologist, I'm all for introspection and thinking about yourself and becoming, you know, in tune with the world and yourself and how... Uh, what, what creates meaning but I, at the same sense I would lose that half hour lose that hour and that gives me opportunity so that way I can sit on my phone be connected gain affiliation so when I get home I could just hang out with my family uh, so in that sense so I think if you look back maybe we all kind of worked and lived in the same community and now Urban Sprawl we don't mm. we have our commutes and two hours along the line and technology allows us to gain the affiliation in our car so that we, we have some sense of connected. I mean, I like listening to NPR, I like listening to music, but there's also an opportunity for me to connect with other people uh, at the same sense. So I don't know how much control it gives me, but it gives me a sense of affiliation and opportunity. So when I get home, I've got those having called a friend or called my parents or something. So when I get home, I can hang out with my wife and two kids. 
And thanks, everybody. Uh, this really been uh, stimulating. And I want to thank the uh, library, not only for the program it's today, but for this whole concept of one book, one college. We had some administrators here uh, some time ago who used to call the people who came here customers. And uh, in my mind, that's the very opposite of this concept of community, which is contained in the name of our college, uh, Moraine Valley Community. We're trying to create a community. And very important to bring people from various disciplines and students from various uh, classes together on occasion to hammer out uh, contemporary issues. I think this builds up the intellectual community here at our college. So thank you very much, and thanks to the panel. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.